Welcome, welcome, welcome. Farzi Masukin here with you for another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Thank you all for making the Chief Zone Podcast part of your day. Hope you guys are having a great week. Obviously, the beginning of the week, uh, kind of a crazy start, but ended up being good with that Monday night football game. Uh, but uh, now you got to wait just a little bit for Chiefs football. Don't have to wait the whole week. Uh, now just a little bit day short. That's the nice thing about the primetime games. Uh, you get to see your team twice. In less than a week, so kind of makes up for that. Uh, not not having a game on Sunday, but now you get to see them twice in six days. It kind of makes the week go by fast a little bit. That's how I always look at it as a football fan during uh, during the season. Uh, so definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, got a lot to get into here. Of course, we will look at the game between the Chiefs and the Jaguars. Also, want to look at the AFC playoff picture too because. Things are very interesting uh, through the first quarter of the season. Uh, you, you'll be very surprised with the teams who are in and the teams who are not in. And I'll point that out in just a moment. Uh, also, uh, going back to the game, crazy conditions this week. Uh, so definitely going to make an impact on the game. And I also have a rant that I want to get into with Major League Baseball. In fact, I have a couple of rants on this episode of the podcast. A lot of things to get into. And one AFC team that has surprised a lot of people. We'll get into all of that and much more on this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys all listening to this episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Share it as well. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. So subscribe on any of those outlets and let your friends know about the Chief Zone Podcast. You guys can interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Vesugian. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Facebook. We will, as always, do a Facebook Live video at halftime and after the game, so join us for that, as always. Appreciate all of you guys who have done that uh, in in the season so far, in the past games this year, as well as last season as well. Uh, This one was kind of interesting. A lot of people people were concerned at halftime. We had a lot of angry uh, commenters, but uh, obviously all of that went away after the game. So join us again. We'll do that again. At halftime and after the game. I'm also on Twitter at Farzine21 for more of my commentaries. So you guys can follow me on Twitter. And you guys can email me as well. Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com Before I continue, I want to let you guys know. I know I um, mentioned Matt Miller uh, of Bleach Report would be on the podcast uh, on this episode. Unfortunately, not the case. He had something come up. uh, So we will not have Matt on this episode. Hopefully we can try to connect with him on a later episode. But nonetheless... The show will still go on, so uh, hopefully we can reconnect with him sometime down the road. All right, I mentioned that there are going to be some rants on this episode. Now, you guys might be wondering, what is there to rant about after a really fun game on Monday night? The Chiefs 4-0, Patrick Mahomes, hands down the best quarterback in the NFL, an MVP candidate to start off the season. What is there to rant about? Well, keep one thing in mind. When I recorded the episode that was released uh, on Tuesday... I quickly did the Facebook Live video with you guys, and then I went right to recording the podcast. So I was completely unaware that this criticism was taking place. Because I wasn't on social media much after the game, other than doing the Facebook Live video with you guys. And after I recorded the episode and uploaded it, uh, which you guys got a chance to listen to, I was oblivious that there were a lot of Broncos fans complaining about this game here. And the... Copious amount of complaints were due to the Chiefs basically cheating. Well, not necessarily cheating, but got a lot of help from the referees in this one. A lot of bad calls, and that helped them 
come away with a win. One of them being Patrick Mahomes with his foot just barely being on the line when he made a throw in the fourth quarter. And we also saw something very similar with Ben Roethlisberger a couple of weeks ago against Kansas City. So Chiefs fans know all about this well, very well. And then uh, another one, uh, right before the two-minute warning, the play clock hit zero. Uh, but the Chiefs still got the snap off and got a big gain from that. I believe that was Demetrius Harris. Uh, of all players who, uh, who, who made that big play. Uh but a lot of Broncos fans were complaining because the play clock hit zero. And here's my response to that. The Chiefs were already just rocking and rolling in the fourth quarter. So, okay, let's say the play clock hits zero and the referees do catch it. The Chiefs just go back five yards. The Chiefs were manufacturing, they were making a lot of plays before that. Uh, just to kind of give you an idea of of that drive real quickly, and I actually didn't have that pulled up. I, I'm looking that up right now. Uh, let's just start at the beginning of that drive. Patrick Mahomes threw to Tyreek Hill, eight yards. Another one to Hill for six yards. The one to Demetrius Harris was 35 yards. And the play before that, when it was second and 30, Mahomes hit Demarcus Robinson for a 23-yard gain. And the drive before that, the uh, 12-play drive, where the Chiefs uh, went 75 yards in 6 minutes and 20 seconds, uh, you look at some of the big plays on that drive, uh, got it to Travis Kelsey on a 19-yard play, uh, one to Chris Conley for 14 yards, despite uh, there was a penalty that took it back, a penalty that didn't even affect the play much. It was on the other side of the field. Uh, with Travis Kelsey uh, creating a, a pass interference call there. Uh, there was another one uh, to Harris for 11 yards. Uh, Tyree Kill out of 15-yard I mean, the Chiefs were making big plays all, all quarter long. So to say that the referees missed a 5-yard uh, delay of a game penalty, okay, yeah, sure. But the Chiefs were already making big plays all quarter long. So I don't know if that, at the end of the day, would have even made a big difference. But Broncos fans are basically basically complaining about bad calls. And I have said this before, and I said this after the playoff loss against the Titans, and I got killed for this by a lot of Chiefs fans. People were complaining about Jeff Triplett and the, the, the no-fumble call on Derek Johnson's sack, which I, I strongly disagreed with, like all of you, but I never used that as the difference maker in the game and a lot of people thought that the Chiefs should have had the um the two-point uh defensive uh play right there uh when I thought the call was right but let's just say that was a bad call that's five points right there and the Chiefs blew an 18-point lead in the second half and so many Chiefs fans just focused their attention on Jeff Triplett and I said that's that's a wrong excuse here and even with Travis Kelsey's injury, I mean, you cannot blow an 18-point lead at Arrowhead at home in a playoff game and just blame the referees for for, for being shut down in the second half. Uh, I mean, the referees didn't do it. The Chiefs had a lot of bad things that went wrong. I don't want to go over that too much, but my point is, even when it's gone bad for Kansas City with, with officiating, I've always said... You cannot blame the referees. I've never been the blame the refs guy. And Broncos fans are complaining about that. Denver blew a 10-point lead at home in the fourth quarter. Kansas City's terrible defense forced a three and out after the Kelsey touchdown in the fourth quarter. And despite, as I mentioned earlier, with the with the Conley play and the Demetrius Harris play, 
Kansas City got a first down despite facing a second and 30 at one point due to a, uh, I believe it was a sack and a penalty that pushed him back. And not only that, Denver's $36 million quarterback overthrew a wide open uh, uh, Demarius Thomas for what should have been an easy touchdown with just a few seconds left to go in the game. So for Broncos fans who are wanting to complain about all of that against the Chiefs in this game, well, uh, I, I just gave four reasons why Denver should have not lost the game. Uh, the Chiefs' poor defense came out with a huge stop when they when the team needed it the most. So I, I mean, you you couldn't even get through Kansas City's defense a, at the end there. And it's not like Denver was playing conservative either. They were trying to make plays happen, and Kansas City's defense came up strong. Uh, I mean, despite the Chiefs' offense being backed up uh, so much, they still came away with some big plays. Uh, and again, a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. I don't know what the statistic is. I'm sure it is out there somewhere. It's one of those premium stats that, uh, that that's hard to find. But I'd love to know, out of all, I'd love to know how many 10-point leads have we seen in the fourth quarter and how many of them have been blown? What's the percentage of blown leads uh, leading by 10 in the fourth quarter? Because I'm sure it's something incredibly small. And you can never point it all on the referees for that one right there. The Mahomes play where he where people thought he was passing the line of scrimmage, his foot was right on the line, and that still counts as a play behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, anything in front of that line, that would have been an illegal forward pass. And of course, your wide receiver, your quarterback overthrew a wide open receiver uh, just a couple of yards away from the end zone. Near the sidelines. You've got to make that play. You can't sit there and tell me that uh, missing that uh, open receiver co- did not cost you the game. It, it, it was a huge part of the game. And, and look, look, I said this about the playoff game against Tennessee. There were plenty of reasons why the Chiefs lost that game. It wasn't just Jeff Triplett's horrendous officiating. Which, funny enough, he was. He, he's the... Uh, uh, referee analyst for ESPN, and at one point he chimed in. I, I forgot what it, exactly he was talking about, but I had to chuckle there because of a controversial call. Jeff Triplett came in to discuss the Chiefs game, which I thought was very interesting. But nonetheless, uh, listen, uh, w- when things don't go wrong, and Chiefs fans are guilty of this too, all sports fan bases are guilty of this. People just want to complain about one small thing that they did not have control over, which is officiating. And listen, officiating is a tough thing to do. It really is. There was that horrendous call, I think on the, uh, I want to say it was on the Packers. Uh, I can't remember exactly who this was again, so I apologize for uh, for not having that in front of me. But uh, th- there was one play out there where uh, a team clearly fumbled, but the referees called it a sack, completely missing the fact that the ball came out this past week and you know, what's really bad is that the NFL will always find a reason to explain why it was the right call, even though it absolutely was never the right call. Uh, same thing with the Derek Johnson fumble. Same uh, same with a lot of calls. But uh, it, it's never a reason to to uh, to make an excuse for why you lost. I mean, this is just Broncos fans being whiny because they thought that with their 10-point lead, they were about to hand Kansas City and Mighty Mahomes their first loss of the season, and they couldn't do that. So you got a lot of whiny Broncos fans. You got the Broncos fans sitting front row flipping off Kelsey and, and, and Hunt. Kelsey with an epic reaction, by the way, to that, which was great. 
Um, it's funny. I posted the picture of that on uh, social media, and I got a lot of. I mean, I got killed by Broncos fans, uh, pissed off Broncos fans. Why are you trying to shame the guy? Like, forget it, man. He, he you know, you're on national TV. Uh, doing that. I mean, if, if the players are celebrating in front of you, you know there's a good chance you're on TV. So the guy shamed himself. Uh, no one had to do anything about that. Uh, and plus, I mean, you want to talk about me. It was on all the sports websites, Deadspin, uh, Barstool Sports, you name it. Uh, I mean, I, I was just a, a, a small part of, of, of his uh, quote-unquote shaming there. But either way, uh, I mean, fans are going to be fans. Uh, you see this with all sports fans, I'm not saying Chiefs fans are, are oblivious to this or, or they don't do this. Uh, all all fans do this; they just do, and it kind of angers me because that, that was not an easy thing to do in the fourth quarter. What the Chiefs did, and Broncos fans want to take credit away, and, and there were some non-Broncos fans as well who chimed in on that. Uh, and the Chiefs simply just deserve credit for the comeback they had against the Broncos, and because of that win against the Broncos, the Chiefs have a 4-0 record, the only undefeated team in the AFC, one of two unbeaten teams in the NFL, the Rams being the other. And you look at the AFC playoff picture right now, your number one and number two seeds, respectively, are the Chiefs and the Bengals. The Jaguars are a six seed facing, they would be visiting the Dolphins if the playoffs started today. And I know it's early, but this is your early playoff picture right now. The Ravens, a fifth seed, would visit the Titans, a fourth seed. Uh, all f- uh, four of those teams that would be playing in the wild card round have a three and one record. In fact, every team in the AFC that would be in the playoffs right now they have a three and one record outside of Kansas City. But that's your AFC playoff picture: the Chiefs, the Bengals. Uh, number three is the Dolphins. Number four, the Titans. Five, the Ravens. Six, the Jaguars. That's who you have in the playoffs right now. Nobody could have ever imagined. Uh, even with one fourth into the season, that the Steelers and the Patriots would be short of the playoff picture. Now, the Patriots, they would, if there was a seventh seed, and I know that's not realistic. I mean, technically, you would, your two seed would have to play. But if if there was a seventh seed, the Patriots own that right now. So it's not like they're too far behind. You're starting to see them come together a little bit. After a big win over the Dolphins, handing them their first loss of the season. And definitely a big one for the Patriots. Starting off slow, but they got that big divisional win that will definitely help them down the road. So definitely something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. I mentioned before, sure, enjoy the Patriots' struggles early on. This happens occasionally. And when they they do struggle early like that, like last year and in 2014, they still made the Super Bowl. So hopefully the Chiefs can prevent that this time. But nonetheless, you can never count out this Patriots team until they just flat out have a bad record to finish off the season. That's really the only way I look at it with that Patriots team. Uh, For those curious on the NFC side, the Rams have a one seed, obviously. The Bears with a two seed. And then you have the, uh, uh, the Saints with a three seed facing the Packers, who have a six seed right now. And the Redskins, Alex Smith's Washington Redskins leading the NFC East. They have a four seed, and they would play host to the five seed, the Carolina Panthers. So that's what you've got right now in your very early playoff picture. One-fourth into the season. Hard to believe we're already one-fourth into the season. Before I get into the game between the Jaguars and the Chiefs at Arrowhead this week, I wanted to read you a list here. ESPN's top 25 most miserable fan bases in the four uh, major pro sports in the U.S., the NFL, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, and the NHL, 
And I, I was pretty intrigued by this list. You guys can look it up on Google. Uh, they provide a reason for the top 25 most miserable fan bases, but they also list all of the fan bases all the way through 123, which is the Patriots. Uh, obviously the least miserable uh, fan base out there. But number one, I would have never guessed this, nor would I have guessed the top two. The Sacramento Kings have the most miserable fan base. The San Diego Padres, number two. Number three is the Cleveland Browns. Sure, a lot of you guys probably had that as your number one. Number four is the uh, Florida Panthers, excuse me. Five, the Buffalo Bills. Six, the Milwaukee Brewers. Seven, the Chicago White Sox. Eight, Cincinnati Reds. Nine, the Buffalo Sabres. And number 10, the Chicago Bears. Now, I should point out the the formula that they use to put together all 123 teams on this list. Number one, championships. Uh, Two, playoff berths. Three playoff wins. Uh, because, sure, it's one thing to be in the playoffs. It's another to be getting uh, wins in the playoffs. Uh, so that's another one uh, that they had. Four is heartbreaks. And when I saw this list, I thought, okay, Kansas City has to be high on this list. The Chiefs, that is. And five is rival comparison. Uh, I guess it, it involves head-to-head uh, rival success as well as when you don't have a good season, but a rival... Does So, for example, the Denver Broncos recently winning a Super Bowl that would count against the Chiefs. So, that's how you have it. I gave you the top 10. I'm not going to read the entire list. Uh, number 22, the Oakland Raiders. They have not had a playoff appearance. Only one playoff appearance since their Super Bowl loss against the Buccaneers. Ironically, the head coach at the time now with them. The Chiefs, I was surprised by this. They are at 54, so right around the middle of the list. Chiefs at 54. Uh, For Kansas City comparison here, the Kansas City Royals are at 83. I was surprised by that. The Las Vegas Golden Knights, a brand new franchise that almost won the Stanley Cup this past season. They're at 96. Uh, For those of you who are Chiefs fans in the St. Louis area, the St. Louis Cardinals are are at 100. So obviously one of the more uh, happier fan bases, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, If you want to look at the top 10 least miserable fan bases listed on this, 123rd, the Patriots. Now going backwards from that, number two, the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, you can see some recency on this list. Number three, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, for the San Antonio Spurs. Five, the Chicago Blackhawks. Six, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Seven, the Miami Heat. Eight, the San Francisco Giants. Nine, the LA Lakers. And I think a big part of that has to do with LeBron. Uh, going there, uh, and 10, the New York Yankees, uh, and this one was, in, I'll, I'll throw this one out there, 11, the Pittsburgh Steelers, although I, I don't know if um, if that would all, all count, considering what you're seeing from the Steelers this season, but you get the idea, that is the list right there you have, and I was kind of intrigued by where the Chiefs would be, because we've seen a lot of heartbreak for the Chiefs in the playoffs, and of course the Broncos winning a Super Bowl, and the fact that this is a team that and I know this year isn't coming into play for them. I, who knows when this list was created? It's possible they've had this for a while and they just now decided to publish it. But you look at the Chiefs; they had the playoff loss to the Titans and they had the playoff loss to the Colts. Uh, they've had other heartbreak over the years. In 2010, they were the last team to lose a game 
but could not get a playoff win. Same thing in 2003. That time was a 9-0 start to the season. Uh, the Chiefs have had some, some great success in the regular season, but have had very little to show for it in the postseason. And that surprises me that the Chiefs were a lot higher than I had anticipated. I actually thought when I saw top 25 most miserable fan bases, it's not necessarily listing up the 25 worst. Um, because a lot of people would agree, yeah, sure, a team like Cleveland, they're, they're just playing horribly for years. But a team like the Chiefs, their fan base probably has more heartbreak because there is this false hope. You have a 9-0 start twice since 2003. Uh, and there were times uh, where there was that false hope when you had Matt Castle making plays in 2010. You had Alex Smith doing big things, and then all for that to really be for nothing in the playoffs in 2003, 2010, 2013, and last season, which the Chiefs, uh, those four seasons, they were the last team to lose a game in recent memory, but again, nothing to show for it. So I was surprised to see the Chiefs at 54 on this list and the Royals at 83. This definitely tells you there that recency has a big part to do uh, with it. And look, that's understandable. You're not going to rank a fan base from 10, 15 years ago, obviously. Uh, this town, I, I think this year was the melting point, uh, meaning it, it dropped off. But uh, at the beginning of this calendar year, 2018 that is, this, this this city was still pretty high on the Royals because of that championship fever from a couple of years ago. But given how bad the team was this year, I think that championship mentality has has now gone away from the fans. It, 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 obviously, it's it's a it, it's far in the rearview mirror given how this season has looked. So people will still wear their championship hats and shirts, but uh, obviously, I think that's going to if this if they made the same list. A year from now, I think the Royals would take a big dip on that list from 83 to much lower. And the explanation could be something to the effect of how, yes, the Royals won a championship recently, but it's their only appearance, and that's the only amount of success that she, or excuse me, the Royals have had since 1985. Well, you could say. Whereas the Chiefs, yeah, they've had some success, but uh, a lot of heartbreak and just some major disappointment in the month of January for, for so long. Uh, so I'm surprised to see the Chiefs were not even in the top 50. I thought for sure they'd be in the top 25, but not the case for the Kansas City Chiefs. Let me know your thoughts on this list. Do you agree with the Chiefs being at 54? Let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzinvesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and my email Farzine at Farzinvesugian.com. All right, let's get right into it. The game between the Chiefs and the Jaguars. Injury notes, already some uh, notable ones coming from Wednesday. D. Ford, he suffered a groin injury in the game against the Broncos. And Sammy Watkins suffered a hamstring injury against the Broncos. Both of those guys left the games early, or left the game early, I should say, both players. Uh, and neither of them came back. Both did practice on Wednesday. Limited participants in practice. Everyone else was a go except for Eric Berry, as we know, dealing with a sore heel. He is apparently day-to-day. We did learn over the weekend uh, that there is some bone spur that is uh, preventing him from, from practicing at the moment. So we learned a little bit about that, but don't want to get into that too much. On the Jaguars and already some notes uh, regarding their uh, injuries. Uh, running back Leonard Fournette out with a hamstring injury. He's only played two games 
So far this year, he was 8th in rushing yards last year, and he will not be playing this season. We'll talk about TJ Yeldon and what he can add to the table. Uh, Cornerback DJ Hayden, uh, he will be out for the Jaguars with a toe injury. And before we get into the game itself, get ready because there's a 90% chance of rain on Sunday. And God help me, DirecTV better be freaking working just fine. Cause, and I realized this, because uh, I don't think I've ever watched, a, I've had DirecTV, this is my third season now uh, with DirecTV, and it better, it just better work. Because <laughs> I really want to see this game. This might be the biggest game of the year for the Chiefs up to this point. In fact, their next two games, I, I, I forgot to mention this, are against the uh, two teams that were in the AFC Championship last year. So definitely going to uh, be a big challenge for the Chiefs. But uh, 90% chance of rain uh, on Sunday. Uh, Sporting KC has a game on sa- uh, on Sunday, uh, or excuse me, Saturday. I wrote Sunday on here for some reason. But uh, uh, they've got an 80% chance of rain that game. And there's at least a 40% chance of rain every day in Kansas City for the next seven days. Uh, that's all according to KCTV5. If you look at 41 Action News, uh, they uh, they have uh, a 60% chance of rain every day except for Saturday. They have uh, Sunday at 80% for the game. So, in other words, it's going to rain and it's going to rain hard when the Chiefs and the Jaguars play. So, that'll definitely change things up a bit for both teams. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, the A-team for CBS We'll be on the call. Uh, a big audience, obviously, when you've got the top CBS crew. And people are already pointing out that the Chiefs have not won a game when Tony Romo's announced. Okay. I mean, uh, take that for what you will. Uh, but nonetheless, those are the two guys who will be calling the game on Sunday. Looking at the Jaguars' defense, I want to start there. I know I normally start with opposing teams' offenses, but I really want to go the opposite way because the Jaguars have the best defense in the NFL right now. Number one overall defense, number one pass defense, 10th against the run, allowing just 95 yards per game and have only allowed one rushing touchdown this season. They've got the best scoring defense with 14 points per game allowed. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown, as I mentioned, and three more scores, uh, touchdown scores on the year. They held the New York Giants to 15 in week one. They pulled off a big upset against the, uh, against the Patriots in Week 2, who only put up 20. They lost to the Titans in a low-scoring game, 9-6. to And then they rebounded this past week, beating the Jets, who only scored 12. And this defense, big reason for what they're able to do. You look at the Jaguars' defense, they have six Pro Bowlers from last season. All of them defensive players. No offensive Pro Bowlers for them. Uh, And they're all back. Calais Campbell, Yannick Nagoku, the defensive ends for the Jaguars, and Malik Jackson, defensive tackle. Never forget about Marcel Darius, too. Very good defensive tackle. Not a Pro Bowler last season, but still very good. Uh, Outside linebacker Tevin Smith, a Pro Bowler, and cornerbacks Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye, uh, also Pro Bowlers. Last season, in fact, those two cornerbacks I mentioned were the top two uh, vote getters among the AFC. Uh, so you know 
that this defense, I, I mean, they're, they're going to come to play. And coached by Josh Wells, the defensive coordinator, uh, this, is, this is a well-coached defensive staff. And by the way, Josh Wells, who I, I, I'll get into him a little bit later. Uh, this is a guy, given the job he's done with the Jags, uh, he should be uh, in line for a head coaching job very, very soon. Uh, he's just done a tremendous job with this defense. And uh, it, it's taken him a long way. Obviously, number one uh, in uh, points allowed. Uh, 14 points per game. And it doesn't get better than that. I mentioned a couple of the players on the defensive line. Campbell, Ngaku. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yannick Ngaku. Uh, and then you've got your defensive tackles, Darius and Jackson. And you look at Calais Campbell. He leads the team with three sacks on the season. Jackson and Ngaku each have a sack on the year. And this defensive line also helps middle linebacker Miles Jack. Not a pro bowler, but could very well be. Uh, he leads the team with 26 tackles. Does a very good job of stopping running backs. Hence why they are in the top 10 in stopping the run. Jack, by the way, has the only interception of the season for the Jaguars. It was a 32-yard pick six. And uh, outside linebacker Tevin Coleman, or Tevin Smith, excuse me, also has 26 tackles on the season. Cole leads with uh, Miles Jack. Uh, he's also one of the reasons that the Jaguars are so good at stopping the run. Uh, I mentioned only one interception. They have two fumble recoveries. They're tied for the lowest turnover margin in the NFL at a minus four. So the thing about this defense, and I'll get into it with Ramsey and Boye, this is not a defense that relies much on takeaways. They rely more on shutting down receivers, limiting and disrupting plays for opposing offenses, and essentially not letting them put up points on the scoreboard. That's the defensive success you have from the Jaguars. Is that the most exciting thing to see? Obviously more exciting when you can force those takeaways and get a lot of sacks. They only have 10 on the season. Uh, But it works. It helped them get to an AFC title game last year. It helped them pull off probably the biggest upset in the playoffs last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you know that this Jaguars defense, I mean, they've been tested a lot in the past and... This Chiefs offense, it's nothing that they can't handle. They've gone up against some great offenses uh, last season and did a fairly good job. And this season, they limited a very good Patriots team. So you know that this Chiefs team, you can never take this Jaguars defense lightly. Definitely uh, going to be game planning. And you look at Eric Bieniemy and the offensive coaching staff, they have to really go through this uh, Jaguars defense one by one and figure out what can we do to beat out these six pro bowlers, beat out this defense, because that's going to be a very tough task for this offense. But I trust that the Chiefs will be able to do that, and I'll get into why they, what they can do later on. Uh, but again, this is a game where the Chiefs offense, they're the best in the NFL, and they'll be facing a Jags defense, which is the best. And you look at what Jaguars head coach Doug Marone uh, said. He, he was talking about Patrick Mahomes praising him. At one point, was was asked uh, again about what Mahomes can do, and he responded saying, "What can't he do?" Which is uh, which is right. I mean, Mahomes. I think last week was was a big uh, defining moment for him because he came back from behind, leading the Chiefs the way he did, and made some big plays. You know that left-handed pass. Uh, yeah, by by the way, someone went on the Broncos Wikipedia page. And change the owner of the franchise to Patrick Mahomes, which you see this often with Google. Sometimes 
if you Googled the owner of the Patriots and Nick Foles' name came up, which is pretty funny from last year's Super Bowl. But, uh, I mean, that, that, that's how crazy the Patrick Mahomes craze train is right now, where, where, where he's now the owner of, of an NFL franchise. But, nonetheless, uh, I mean, this is, a, uh, this is a defense, again, coached by uh, defensive coordinator Todd Walsh. Uh, and, and, again, this is probably the biggest test he will have as a defensive coordinator. It's a big test for both sides. It really is. And you look at Kansas City and what they've been able to do. Three games, they've been put up putting up big points on the scoreboard. Whereas last week, they had to rally from behind. But still proving they can find ways to win. It can be by blowout or they can rally late in the game. And I know the Broncos, statistically speaking, aren't a great defense. But Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, Shane Ray. I mean, that is not a defense you ever take lightly Chris Harris one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL and still the Chiefs found a way to get through this Jaguar or excuse me this Broncos defense and come back despite being down by 10 and and shutting them down in the fourth quarter so this is a a defense that I think was a good practice for Kansas City getting ready for a uh, for a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars and I think Kansas City will be able to handle them uh, later this week, and I'll explain why. I do want to touch on the Jaguars' offense, which is 15th in the league, 15th in passing as well, 13th in rushing. So, very mediocre offense, uh, but as far as scoring points go, they're 22nd in points per game, scoring 22 points per game. Blake Bortles, seven touchdowns, three picks on the season. He's been sacked six times, uh, thrown for 1,095 yards, which is 16th in the league, completing 65% of his passes. And I think that those six sacks, I, I think that number is going to go up in this game. Got some good players to work with. Uh, wide receiver D.D. Westbrook leads the team with 21 grabs and 294 yards with a touchdown. Keelan Cole right behind him with 17 grabs and 225 yards with a touchdown. Running back T.J. Yeldon I mentioned earlier filling in for, for net. He's been busy since his absence. 14 grabs through the air for 125 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, Dante Moncrief also has two touchdowns. On the year off 12 catches. And then tight end Austin Safarian Jenkins. 11 catches for 90 yards. And a touchdown to go along his season. Uh, Yeldon by the way. Uh, he, he's ran 49 times for 205 yards. And one touchdown. The 205 yards. That's 18th right now in the league in rushing. Yeldon by the way last week against Jets. In the 31-12 win. A lot of offensive playmakers last week. Which is not something you see much from this. Jaguars team it's more of a defensive showing for them but uh still when they held the Jets to 12 points they put up 31 and Yeldon had 100 yards uh, 100 scrimmage yards last week uh and uh, a touchdown on the ground and through the air against the Jets Westbrook and Moncrief both went off last week as well Westbrook had nine grabs for 130 yards whereas Moncrief he had five grabs for 109 yards and a touchdown in that game against the Jets and look, there are some playmakers there for the Jaguars. Not Allen Hearns, Allen Robinson type of offense, but still, they're able to make it work. But the thing about the Jaguars in this game, and more so for Blake Bortles, I think his success will depend highly on the offensive tackles for the Jaguars. You look at D4, he's going to be going up. If Assuming D4 does play, it looks like he will uh, since he's been practicing. Uh, he'll be going up against left tackle Josh Wells. And by the way, I apologize. I did mix him up with the defensive coordinator, Todd Wash. Uh, so, uh, excuse me for that, but Josh Wells, the left tackle for the Jaguars, 
Uh, I think he's going to have a rough game against Ford. I think D. Ford, if he does play in this game, I think he can have a multi-sack game against Josh Wells, uh, who's not a very good left tackle for the Jaguars. And you look at Justin Houston, he's going to be going up against Jeremy Parnell, who is one of the better right tackles in the league, and a guy who could limit Houston, but I still think Houston will be able to make some plays. And by the way, according to Pro Football Focus, Ford has the second most quarterback hurries in the league, right behind Khalil Mack, newly of the Chicago Bears, formerly with the Oakland Raiders. So you know you're in good company when you're putting up uh, numbers like that. I know those aren't numbers we see on NFL.com, ESPN.com, but still, though those are stats that are out there for, for fans to find. And D Ford's second in the league in that category, which I think can sometimes be a bigger deal than sacks because, sure, you may not get a sack every single time, but if you're hurrying a, a quarterback who gets rid of the ball when he doesn't want to, that can always lead to dangerous things for an offense, and that... That's where you give credit to the pass rushers for doing what they do. So you know D. Ford now starting to play well on a consistent level and starting to be that first-round draft pick type of player that the Chiefs had in him in 2014. Didn't play a whole lot his first couple of years because of Holly and Houston, and now we're seeing a lot more of him. Houston, of course, missed a lot of 2016. Now that Holly's gone, he is uh, having a, playing a vital role in Kansas City's defense, which is very good to see. Definitely puts him in position to be brought back for a big contract in the future for the Chiefs. And given that the Chiefs don't have a lot of playmakers on defense, this is probably someone who you want to do everything you can to try to keep. And I, I know you're, you're going to try to extend guys like Tyreek Hill, uh, Kareem Hunt, Patrick Mahomes. So it, it's going to be a challenge for Brett Veach when he has to do things like that in the future. But got a lot to work with. And I think that uh, that, that, that game there... Uh, for, for Ford against Wells, that's going to be the key difference maker. And I think Ford is going to have a big game against Blake Bortles. Special teams-wise, Josh Lambeau has made all eight field goals, longest from 54 yards. He was 19 of 20 last year. His only miss last year was in Cleveland, and it was in the snow, so you know he'll always be good. In fact, he was 26 of 32 his first two years in the league in 2015 and 2016 with the Chargers. He has improved a lot since then. Punter Logan Cook right in the middle when it comes to punt average, just below average in net yardage. So nothing great from Logan Cook. It'll be interesting to see how he does with Tyree Kill back there and if they uh, try to challenge him or if they decide to punt it out of bounds. And given that he hasn't done so well this year, maybe they would consider punting it out of bounds and not giving Tyree Kill the chance to make those big plays. Punt returner uh, and also a kick returner, Jaden Mickens, has 10 punt returns on the season, averaging 5.3 yards per return, longest for 16 yards. As far as kick returns go, he has 4 for 96, longest uh, went for 27 yards. Uh, So one of the more average uh, return guys in the league. Listen, rain will force the Chiefs, as well as the Jaguars, to be creative. But I think the Chiefs have the ability to be creative, whereas the Jaguars don't have the tools that the Chiefs have. With Mahomes and Kareem Hunt, coming off a big game for Kareem Hunt, by the way, who is fifth in rushing, this can go to Kansas City's advantage, the rain that is. Maybe the Chiefs don't air it out too much to guys like Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins on those long plays, but they'll still be using those guys very actively in the passing game. It just won't be on those long deep passes. You'll have to use those short intermediate passes to try to move the chains if you want to uh, if you want to be pass heavy, which the Chiefs might still be doing, even in the rain. And that's, of course, assuming Watkins played uh, plays, who was also 
limited in practice on Wednesday. We'll see how things go on Thursday and Friday. But listen, the thing about Mahomes, and we saw it a lot in this game uh, against the Broncos, I think the Chiefs, even without being under pressure, I think the Chiefs will use Mahomes' mobility to try to throw off this Jaguars defense. And if they move around trying to close in on, on Mahomes... He'll look for Hill or Watkins when they're wide open, when their defensive backs maybe lose track of them when they try to watch Mahomes as he moves around. And that'll be some of the key plays that'll help the Chiefs in this football game. And like I said, if D. Ford can beat Josh Wells, I think it's going to be a very long game for Blake Bortles. Special teams will be key, especially in this weather. We'll see what they do. With uh, with Logan Cook and how they want to handle his punts in this game against Tyreek Hill. Or maybe even DeAnthony Thomas who had a one nice punt return against the Steelers. So uh, the Chiefs have a lot of weapons. And I think they really got to use their speedsters. Especially, and again, I know they're going to pass the football. They, 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 they just will with Patrick Mahomes. But don't shy away from the running game either. Because even with Kareem Hunt, you've got a lot of great options. you got Spencer Ware who you can use. D'Anthony Thomas and Tyreek Hill, I imagine they'll be involved on some trick plays uh, running the football. So And the Chiefs need to use that because in this type of game where it sounds like it's going to be heavy rain, you want to use that to make sure that you... Being in the rain, you don't want to overuse someone. So use as many guys as you can. Let Tyreek Kill run it for a play or two. D'Anthony Thomas maybe touches it once on the ground. Spencer Ware comes in for a few plays in the game. And that'll help Kansas City run the football pretty well against a very good run-stopping defense. And I think Kansas City will be able to get through that. I think they have the offensive line, the blocking ability to do so against this good team. And like I said, I think with the passing game, I don't think the Chiefs are going to throw for a lot of yards. But with Mahomes' ability, mobility, excuse me, that's going to really open up some plays and throw off this Jaguars defense. And going up against a quarterback they've never really gone up against before. Not that type of quarterback, at least. So I think that's going to go to Kansas City's advantage. My biggest concern would be the defense. Now, again, this defense, what they're going to be the Chiefs' defense, that is, facing this Jaguars' offense, this is not a dangerous offense that the Chiefs' defense can't handle. Blake Bortles, he has some great moments and he has some really bad moments. He's been very inconsistent in, in his career. But I can, like I said, I think if D. Ford has a good game, which I think he will, that'll definitely give the Chiefs probably one of their best defensive games of the season. As far as score-wise goes in this football game, I don't think it's going to be as crazy as we've seen in past games. I think it might be their lowest scoring output of the season, but still enough to win. I've got the Chiefs winning this one 24-13. I think Jacksonville Jacksonville will be able to do some things moving the football, but not a lot. And again, even in the rain, I think Josh Lambeau will be able to connect on a couple of field goals. But I think this Chiefs offense, they'll be able to do a lot. I think they'll dominate time of possession in this game because of the rain. And that will be the big difference maker, time of possession that is, and using the running game, using Mahomes' mobility to throw off the Jaguars' defense and come away with that win. So uh, that is my score for this one, 24-13 to 13 in this football game. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine 21, and my email Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. The Bengals, probably the most interesting team in the AFC right now with a 3-1 record. Andy Dalton tied second in touchdown passes with 11. And, of course, Marvin Lewis 
one of the more successful head coaches again in the regular season, but he's had seven playoff appearances with the uh, with the Bengals, all of them in the wild card round, all of them losses. I think a lot of people are just wondering, sure, and the same thing could be said about Kansas City. I've I've made the comparison with with Andy Reid and uh, and Marvin Lewis. A lot of great success in the regular season, but nothing to show for it in the playoffs. I think Bengals fans, they're excited for this, as they should be. But at the end of the day, is this going to lead to what Bengals fans want to see in the end, which is success in the playoffs? That's the biggest question mark with that football team. And I think that's something that a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on moving forward. Pro Football Talk reported that NFL TV ratings slightly up from last season. Michael David Smith of PFT uh, said in the article that players like young players like Mahomes and Goff are emerging, while veterans like Tom Brady and Drew Brees still going very strong, and those play major roles in a site ratings increase. And listen, I, I've said this before, ratings are down for everything. Deadspin has a fantastic article even explaining this. Uh, and I know with the drama with the uh, NFL protesting and Donald Trump, he, he's taken to Twitter multiple times to mention that NFL ratings are down. Well, okay, but for those who are against the NFL because of the protests, and I, I get some tweets from, from that crowd several times, uh, of them saying, well, uh, ratings are down for the NFL. Okay, but what what's doing better than the NFL right now, ratings-wise? And I ask that question every time, and those people don't respond. The answer is nothing. Ratings are down for everything. People don't realize this. People just want to criticize the NFL and say that their ratings are down. Okay, ratings are down for a lot of every TV program, in fact. You cannot find a show... That does better than the NFL right now. Any television program out there. You're just not. Now, people, I got one person who said Roseanne. Well, how long did that last for? Exactly. Just one episode. That's all it was. Last thing I want to touch on here. Earl Thomas, uh, almost a chief, uh, obviously suffered that big injury as he was demanding more money but still was playing as the uh, season went on. And a lot of people compared this to Le'Veon Bell's situation, explaining why he held out. And a lot of people were on uh, Earl Thomas' side saying he had every right to demand money because he's been wanting to take care of himself. But look, I want to go on the other side of this and say, listen, I get it. Guys like Earl Thomas and Le'Veon Bell, uh, sure, they want more money. Thomas still played the sport, whereas Bell was avoiding uh, play because he wants to prevent injury. That way he can continue to demand more money. Look at the Chiefs and the $70 million contract they gave to Eric Berry. A lot of Chiefs fans have actually brought up that how he's been injured since signing that big deal. And I've even mentioned before, ever since Eric Berry uh, signed that deal, he has yet to play a full game. I think you also have to look at the team's perspective on things. Now, there's obviously no way of knowing when someone's going to suffer an injury unless they're playing with a lot of pain. Uh, But in a case like the Seahawks, listen, I think at the end of the day, say what you want. Sure, Earl Thomas has every right to demand a lot of money because he was playing so well. One of the uh, best interceptors in the league this year. But the Seahawks proved in kind of a weird way that they were right to not pay him because look at the uh, contract that they could have possibly dished out given the fact that he suffered a big injury and listen I know a lot of Chiefs fans were upset and who knows maybe coming to Kansas City maybe that doesn't happen 
uh, every scenario, different things can can take place, different situations. But uh, maybe he, maybe that there was something in his body that was just tearing down eventually, and he would have suffered the injury no matter where he would have gone. And perhaps the Chiefs dodge a big bullet, managing to keep their draft picks, and the Seahawks keep their money. So. Uh, you got to look at the team's perspective as well. I get everyone wants to take the player side on these kinds of things, but teams have a right to to not want to pay someone if they think it's the right move for them, whether we agree or not. Let's go out of bounds. Big fight this weekend, UFC 229 in Las Vegas. Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor going to be going toe-to-toe. If you don't, Everyone knows who Conor is. If you don't know who Habib Nurmagomedov is, he's the UFC lightweight champion. Uh, but a lot of people know him as the guy from the bus incident who, who McGregor was going after when he was throwing dollies and chairs at a bus. He, Conor wanted Habib because of the personal issue where Habib and... Connor's friend Artem both had some sort of altercation at at the, uh, the UFC hotel, the sponsor hotel, the host hotel, I should say, uh, from an event earlier this year. And now Connor coming back to the UFC for the first time in 23 months and is going to try to get back the title that he was stripped of due to inactivity, pursuing the Floyd Mayweather fight, of course. Uh, listen, Habib is undefeated. He doesn't have a strong finish percentage. But he's a lot like Floyd Mayweather. And the fact that Floyd Mayweather doesn't knock out a lot of his opponents, but still finds a way to win. Habib's the same way. He doesn't finish a lot of his opponents, but still comes out with a win. He's 26-0, and and I think that's going to go on up, making him 27-0. and I think he wins four rounds to one. He's never lost a round in UFC history, but I think he'll lose at least one to Conor McGregor. But the thing with Conor is... He gasses out real quickly, and that's going to go. That's going to work to Habib's advantage, who is a phenomenal wrestler and has amazing stamina. And that's going to bode well for him in this fight. Uh, going to a different sport, hockey. The Washington Capitals—they uh, raised their banner, their Stanley Cup banner, uh, winning last year against the Golden Knights. And to open up the season, the reigning champion scored two goals in one minute and 47 seconds into the new season. You know what? I think the reigning champions are doing just fine. And they might be going for that cup once again in 2019, given the start to their season one minute and 47 seconds into the new season. So, off to a good start for the reigning champs. Not bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, Last thing I want to touch on here, talk about good luck. A 56-year-old woman in Maryland bought her first ever scratch, uh, scratch-off ticket, and she won $50,000 from that. She was with her son-in-law uh, as they uh, were getting some lottery tickets, and instead of a lottery ticket, uh, the Mega Millions, she opted out and got a scratcher instead, and she won $50,000 from that. Uh, number one, obviously good luck because, you know, it's your first time and, you know, you've got the beginner's luck there. Number two... Uh, obviously, this this uh, woman's daughter married the right guy because she was hanging out with him, and, and they said, "Hey, let's go get a lottery ticket or a scratcher." And she said, "Sure, son-in-law, let's. I'll get a scratcher instead, though." Uh, had her daughter not married this guy, she would not have ever gotten this fifty thousand dollars scratcher. So, hey, uh, I think at the end of the day, you have to give credit to the daughter for saying yes when uh, this man proposed to her. She's ultimately the reason why this happened. So, uh, 
you know, got to be around the right people for that to happen too. Considering she was with so hang out with someone when this happened, her son-in-law of all people. So uh, imagine that your first time ever uh, playing a scratch-off ticket and you win fifty thousand dollars. Now I don't know. I'm sure some of that's going to go to taxes and all, but still. You're going to end up with, with some good money there. Uh, oh, certainly will take it, especially at 56 years old. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Colts head coach Frank Reich, uh, formerly the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, helping them win a championship last season. Uh, he's taking a lot of heat. Uh, because of what he did in overtime with less than a minute to go at their own 43 on 4th and 4. Indy goes for it, failed on an incompletion with 24 seconds left, and the Houston Texans needed just three plays to win as time expired in overtime with a game-winning field goal from 35 yards out. Uh, listen, I'm throwing a flag at the critics here. The Colts were 1-2. and two. They needed to get a divisional win here, and with 24 seconds left, sure, you punt it, Essentially, the worst thing happens, you tie. We see it the third tie in four weeks. But Frank Reich didn't want it to end in a tie. He would rather lose than tie, which not the smartest thing. Obviously, a tie is better for your record than a loss. But listen, at the end of the day, he was actually trying to go for the win, in fact. So I don't blame him, especially with 24 seconds left. If you punt the football, so what happens then? You're not going to win the game by punting it away with 24 seconds left. Sure, you're at your own 43 and you risk big time uh, against the Texans suffering a loss, but uh, Frank Reich wanted to find a way to win. Because if you punt it on fourth down, you have no chance of winning. Unless they have a similar situation where there's a horrible snap, uh, a crazy interception, something like that happens uh, where the Colts take over at the 15 or, or, or whatever. So I don't blame Frank Reich going for it. He wanted to win the game rather than punt the football. And I can understand that. Look at Gary Kubiak a couple years ago against the Chiefs in that crazy overtime game on Sunday Night Football. Went for a very long field goal that gave the Chiefs great field position uh, to take over and needed just a few plays to get within field goal range. Dramatic field goal kick, but nonetheless, it just needed a couple uh, Kubiak wanted to win rather than punt the football away when it was unlikely the Broncos would get the ball back. So I can understand Frank Reich going for it, and I don't blame him at all one bit. Alright, so there was a 163rd game in the MLB to help determine a uh, playoff team. And I honestly think that's asinine. I really do. You have 162 games in Major League Baseball and you need a 163rd game to determine who goes to the playoffs and who doesn't? That's ludicrous. You have 162 games to figure that out. You should have a lot of tiebreaker situations played in there to help determine who wins a tiebreaker. You don't need a 163rd game. NFL teams have 16 games. That's that's very few games. Yet they can still... Figure out who gets in and who doesn't on tiebreaker situations. They have plenty of scenarios for that. How do you not have a scenario for that in a, after 162 games? I think that's ridiculous. There's a flaw in the rule for the game of baseball if you need a 163rd game to, ter- to determine who goes to the playoffs. That's, you shouldn't have that. You already have enough games to do so. WBZ in Boston... 
uh, reported this. An American Airlines flight from Phoenix to Boston was forced to make an emergency stop in Kansas City because a passenger refused to stop doing pull-ups on an overhead compartment. That's interesting. Uh, He boarded the plane, according to one passenger, uh, he boarded the plane with two dogs and appeared to be drunk uh, as uh, he placed his bags in the overhead compartment. He began leaning against it, leading to another passenger who sarcastically asked if he was going to start doing pull-ups, which he obviously started doing. Flight attendants asked him to stop four times, according to witnesses. Uh, Didn't do so, refused, and he became verbally abusive. So they made an emergency stop in Kansas City to get rid of this guy. Why are you doing pull-ups? I mean, even if you're drunk, why why does it lead to you doing pull-ups? That's what I'll never understand. This guy was not, uh, he was not identified, which is probably good for his sake, but pull-ups on a plane. I mean, that's like, that's the least, uh, I just want to get on the plane and get over, especially from Phoenix to Boston. That's a long, long trip there. Uh, You just want to get it over with. But you're doing pull-ups on the flight while drunk? It's probably one of the weirdest things I've heard someone do while drunk. And I'm sure there are a lot of weird things. We we, we could put out a list of what people do while drunk, while under the influence uh, some of the weird things they do, but on a plane, that's what you decide to do? I mean, come on. It was with two dogs, too. I mean, why do you even have two dogs with you in your drunk? What, what, what are you trying to do there? What's going on here? And then, hey, they have to make a stop in KC, of all places. Well, welcome to Kansas City. Uh, hopefully, he can enjoy some some good barbecue while he's in KC. I, who knows uh, what he was going to Boston for, but he's stuck in Kansas City for the meantime. Hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Big thanks to all of you for downloading and listening. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Hit the share button as well. Spread the word. Let your friends know about the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzibusugian. We'll do a Facebook Live at halftime and after the game against the Jaguars, so join us for that. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and my email farzine at farzinewasugian.com. Sorry for those who were looking forward to the Matt Miller interview. Unfortunately, he was unable to make it. We will try again to book him on a future episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. He's been on the podcast many times, so I'm sure we can make that happen. Uh, But again, big apologies for those who were looking forward to that. We'll try again sometime later with him during the season. Big thanks to you guys for downloading and listening. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend, rainy weekend in KC. If you're not in KC, stay dry. We will do a recap episode that will be out Sunday night. And again, like I said, we'll do the Facebook Lives at halftime and after the game. New episode will be out, the recap episode, on Sunday night. And then we will preview next week's game, Sunday Night Football against the Patriots, out on Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Be subscribed and spread the word. I'm Farzee Wasugian. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend.